0: Up chapter 16 tonight uh, the disciples uh, have been with Jesus uh, for three years uh, I was thinking as I was thinking through this passage because we're coming to the close of uh, of their uh, his earthly ministry here in regards to his physical presence with his disciples and I thought about what it would have been like to walk with Jesus for three years um, just to see to see him Uh, to hear him, to hear what he taught, to see the things that he did. Um, It it would just be, there would be such a bond there. And I thought about the disciples and my heart kind of went out thinking about them and about how they were anticipating now his absence. Uh, and they really didn't have the understanding, the full understanding yet. We read so many times that Jesus talked about uh, going to the cross, but yet they never seemed to get it. They never seemed to, uh, it never seemed to sink in with them. And you see that kind of coming coming to bear on them in chapter 16 and then um, you know, Jesus in th- verse 32 uh, even foretells that they'll be scattered. Uh, so, so that has to be a double kind of a wound to their, uh, emotions although he gives them some comfort there regarding his overcoming the world but but that's the context of tonight and uh, it's interesting to me as well he speaks in some ways of things that are going to be accomplished at the cross and through through him accomplishing his purposes but he almost speaks as those as present in some way but I do think there's a newness that's described here and that's really what I want to look at uh, tonight. Uh, I want I shared, uh, Sunday night, regarding or sun, yeah, Sunday night regarding the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit, and then uh, also in chapter sixteen, beginning in verse twelve, Jesus says to them, "I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when He, the Spirit of Truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth." Uh, the obvious implication there is that. Without the spirit of truth coming, they wouldn't be able to bear what he had to say to them. But uh, when the spirit of truth comes, then they will be able to bear all that truth. So he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. And then he goes immediately uh, into speaking of his departure here. Verse 16, a little while and you will no longer see me, and again a little while and you will see me. Some of his disciples then said to one another, what is this thing he is telling us? A little while and you will see me, and again a little while you will, see, uh, you will, you will not see me, and again in a little while you will see me, and, and because I go to the Father." so they were saying what is this that he says a little while we do not know what he's talking about which is kind of striking in in and of itself uh, because he's been talking about this very in fairly clearly clear terms but they they just were not seeming to grasp that so they're confused here verse 19 Jesus knew that they wished to question him and he said to them are you deliberating together about this that I said a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice. And no one will take your joy away from you. In that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. These things I have spoken to you in a figurative language. An hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in a figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me, and I have believed that I came forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father." His disciples said, Lo, now you're speaking plainly and are not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came, that came from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. And then he goes into the great high priestly prayer of John 17. So I just wanted to share a few observations tonight. I've been keeping you guys longer than normal, so I'm not going to keep you long tonight. But just a few things about this particular passage in verse 20 and 22 Uh, One of the things I'll just draw out, draw your attention to is that Jesus uh, indicates to them that their joy uh, will triumph over their anguish. He gives the analogy there of a woman who is in labor. In fact, in verse 20, he talks about they will lament, but the world will rejoice. And that's exactly uh, what happened. I mean, the world in that moment of Christ dying or Christ's crucifixion, the world rejoiced because the world in its regard had finally silenced this dangerous Christ. Uh, the Jews and the, and the Romans had put down whatever rebellion may have come up because of it and whatever fears and paranoia they had in regards to Jesus. When he finally dies, the world takes a breath of release. They rejoiced and now we can return to some sort of stability. And the disciples or the apostles here and the disciples of Christ, uh, they were lamenting and they were weeping greatly. In fact, I I can only imagine uh, how heartbroken and bewildered they were in so many ways. In fact, I think that later tends to their fleeing away because uh, they still have not yet understood not to mention it was prophesied in, in fact I believe it was in providence to spare their lives at that moment so that um, that could eventually become the cornerstones in many ways of the church but they actually were going to experience this Jesus is foretelling that there's going to be a moment when you weep and the world is going to rejoice you will grieve but then he says to them but your grieve will be turned into joy so there's going to be a complete turnaround uh I read some commentary. Some people think when Jesus says, you'll see me again, he's talking about uh, seeing more clearly in the person of the Holy Spirit. In other words, when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to behold me even more clearly than you ever have. There's certainly warrant for that. But it feels to me, seems to me more in this passage as though he's saying, look, you're going to witness the brutal murder of your dear friend, your beloved Messiah. And there's everything in your flesh is going to tell you he is gone. Every, every aspiration you had for him is going to feel like in that moment that it has been crushed. And all hope is going to be quenched in that moment. You will be grieving and you will be weeping. But then you're going to see me again. And you're going to realize that all that you thought had taken place there, the death of your Savior, he has risen from the dead. And then that that turns that fear and that weeping into a joy, which he says later on will always be with you, will never be taken away from you. You will grieve but your grief will be turned to, to joy. He mentions the analogy here of a woman who is in labor. Uh, I don't have this experience, contrary to popular notions these days in regards to men being able to bear children, uh, but you ladies who have, you know what he's talking about here. Uh, it, is, it is very much painful and it's very much labor. They don't call it that for anything and there's pain involved. But once the child comes into the world and you see this new life and you embrace that child, it doesn't take long for the pain of that childbirth to fade away because there's a, there's a joy that overwhelms the, the memory of the pain and the sorrow that you were dealing with in that moment. And that's the analogy he uses for the disciples. Oh, yes, you're going to feel great pain. You're going to feel all these things when you watch me crucified. In fact, we know that John followed very closely. Uh, Peter got within eye shot, but uh, they were, were witnessing the murder of someone they loved dearly. And they felt the full weight and the full pain of that as well. Uh, Even beyond that, uh, having fulfilled the scattering part, they probably felt the guilt for abandoning him in that moment in their own mind. So they felt felt the pangs, as it were, of childbirth. But when they saw him, they would see this life of Christ, and that would uh, return a great joy, and it would eventually press out uh, that sorrow and that weariness in their hearts. So that's one of the things he says. Uh, In verse 23 as well, I love this, but he says, in that day, you will not question me about anything. I thought a lot about what does he mean there? Uh, If he's talking about the further revelation of Christ, Christ ascends to the Father, the Holy Spirit comes, takes up residence in the believer's hearts, uh, then he will be there uh, answering those questions. But I wondered if it didn't mean maybe more the impact. In other words, you've got a lot of questions right now. In fact, you're deliberating about what I'm talking about. And there's no way you're going to really know that until the spirit comes. But whenever you see me crucified and then you see me rise from the dead and I appear to you having risen from the dead, you're not going to have any questions. (laughs) In other words, I think he means in some ways all the questions you have in your heart right now and all all the ambiguities you're thinking about in your mind are going to fade away in the light of what you're beholding there. And certainly... Whenever the Holy Spirit comes and he gives them the word and and he operates in their lives, a lot of the questions that they would have had would have been answered. In fact, I believe all their questions were answered at the cross. And when, you, when he was risen from the dead, then the obvious answer is yes. I, you've heard me quote before, in Christ, all the promises of God are yes. So the, I don't think they would question him in that day. In other words, so so remarkable is this going to be that in that moment, all you'll need to see is me risen from the dead. Uh, to me, that's the answer to my questions. I shared with, I shared with you, I was talking to a couple people this week as well. And, and they have all kinds of questions. And I remember as well, before I became a Christian, I had all kinds of questions, questions. It's not to say I don't have any now, but I had existential questions before I became a Christian. But in the moment of my conversion and regeneration and, and coming to faith and beholding Christ, it's amazing how so many of those questions just fell away. It's almost as if I said, it doesn't matter. Here's the answer. And then, as I became a Christian and began to study the Word, obviously I have questions, and I think the disciples would have had those too when they enter and navigated certain things. Whenever they experienced persecution, I'm sure questions arise. John the Baptist himself had a question in Jesus' ministry while he was here. He had to, had his disciples go speak to Jesus: "Are you the one, or should we look for another?" And so it's not, it's not saying here that they will never have any more questions. Neither is it saying that if you become a believer, you won't. But if you see Christ in his glory and if you see him at the cross risen from the dead, the answer to the questions is there. That He is the answer. He's already said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so whatever answers flow out from that, he is the ultimate source of that answer. And I think that's what he's saying to the disciples here. In that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. I take from that, at least in verse 23 and 24, that he brings with them a newness here in that they have this free access to the father in the name of Christ. uh, I, I think there's a qualifying to that. I think the spirit will come upon them or come come into their lives. I think they have been appointed for a very special, special ministry there as apostles. And I think that by the spirit's guidance, whatever they did ask of the father, he would give to them so that they might fulfill the ministry that he had given them. So I do think there are reflections of that promise in our life, but there is a big condition there. That in your name, whatsoever you ask in my name, that's a big qualifier. What would you be asking in the name of Christ? Well, certainly whatever the will of Christ would be and expanding the will of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the, so the qualifier for me there is to be thinking about what is it the Lord wills here, and then think along those things, draw that from his word, and then pray to the Father. And when you ask him for that, he will give you that thing. So I think it does extend to us, but it had specific application, I think, in the apostles' life, particularly in, gar- in regards to their ministry. But what was new about Christ here? Is these, this prayer promise? Listen, I am going to be going away, and up until now, you've come to me and you've asked me these things, and I have provided you instruction, and I have provided all for your needs all these three years of our ministry. But I'm going away, and in your heart, you're probably wondering well, who we're we going to ask now, and how are we going to receive these things now in His absence. And I think that's His answer here: ask the Father. Ask the Father in my name and he will give it to you. He will provide all that I've been providing for you while I was with you. So we have three things already. Joy triumphs over their anguish. Their questions will be answered or they'll have no questions in the presence of Christ. And they will have free access to the Father. In verse 24, he says here, this is my words, he will answer upon the the merit of Christ. And he says, your joy will be made full. full." He says in verse 24, until now you have asked for nothing in my name, ask and you will receive. Why? So that your joy may be made full. And so I I think the, the merit, the guarantee that they will get what they ask for here is by Christ's own sacrifice. In other words, as he goes to the cross, he provides for them access to the Father, free access to the Father, coming boldly before the throne. He provides he provides that peace between God and men. And so it's essentially his merit that their prayer request is going up upon. In other words, you ask in my name, and because of the merit and the value of Christ's suffering and his resurrection, the Father will give it through the merit of Christ. He's not going to give it to you because you have some inherent quality in yourself. He's not going to give it to you because you've been very obedient this week. If God answers the prayer, it's coming through the mercy purchased by Christ upon the cross, which is why I think he can say this so clearly. Until now, you've asked for nothing in my name. And he just tells them, Father, for anything in my name. Up until this point, you've not asked for anything in my name. You've spoken, you've asked me directly, but now you're going to be asking the Father, asking my name. And that he will, whatever you ask, then you will receive to what end that their joy may be made full. Uh, I think that's deeper than just it makes me happy when God answers my prayers. Uh, I think God answers prayers through the name of Christ in such a way that magnifies himself, which feeds into our greater joy. In fact, if he doesn't give us the thing perhaps that we're petitioning for, but he manifests his glory and gives us understanding of the reason why he has withheld this thing in that moment, this greater view of the glory of God increases my joy more than the thing that I thought would have. In fact, I'm convinced that a lot of things that I've prayed for in life, God did not allow in my life because there was a greater joy in the waiting upon him. And the allowing of him to do the work in my heart to provide for the happiness that I thought the thing that would give me would make me. And So, so it's not some cheap uh, prosperity gospel promise here. It is rooted in Christ and the value and the merit of Christ and his suffering. Uh, I love it that their joy will be made full in this relationship. Uh, I was talk, we were talking a little bit Sunday night about uh, one of the resolutions talking about the earnestness in, in, in prayer and the fighting in prayer. And uh, I think, and this is a confession, but I think I give up sometimes too soon. Uh, I just I just don't stay in prayer for something. After a little while, it seems as though well, apparently this is not the purposes of God for my life, and and sometimes maybe I should give up. But sometimes I think I'm prone, and maybe you are, to giving up. Is there a real fighting and earnestness and groaning in prayer, trying to discern what it is the Lord wills it for in our lives, and then trying to align our prayers with that and asking for the thing that the Lord wills for? I shared. Uh, I've always been struck in Romans 8, uh, 28 and 29 there, where he talks about the groaning of the spirit. Uh, it's just really interesting to me because he says, you don't know what you ought to pray for. In fact, you, and there's those times when you don't have a clue, but the spirit within you is groaning. And and the reason he's 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 searching out or the Father is searching the heart to see what the will of the Spirit is because the Spirit knows the will of God. So there's this interaction between the Holy Spirit and the Father here in the the life of the believer who have a clue what he's supposed to be praying for and he's answering the prayer of the Spirit. The Spirit is lifting up prayers on your behalf and the Father when he discerns the will of the Spirit he knows it's his own so he provides the thing the Spirit wants. That's why I say I think we ought to spend a lot of time trying to figure out what it is that the Spirit is praying for for us and that's what edwards was talking about the earnestness and fighting to try to grasp what it was that the spirit was calling upon so he will answer upon the merit of christ that their joy may be made full Uh, if i could just say a word here uh, i don't know how you define joy Uh, i don't necessarily define it as somebody walks around with a smile on their face all the time uh in fact, I I understand it more as a rock-solid stability and an inward peace when all hell breaks loose around you. Uh, when the world going uh, going downhill and there's a t- deterioration, there is an unshakable confidence and security. It doesn't mean you're not, you don't. You don't get concerned at moments about things you see around you, mainly because there are people suffering and it may even bring suffering upon yourself. But underneath all of that, at the end of the day, when you get somewhere quiet at night and you sit down and you begin to contemplate how solid and secure your foundation in Christ is, there is that joy that returns. Now, sometimes it manifests itself in smiling faces and lifted arms and praise. But other times it manifests itself in a steady day by day pursuing of Jesus Christ. Uh, so, so that's the way I defined it. So, uh, so if I see you smiling, I'm not assuming that you're, you got the joy of the Lord. You might just had a good supper. <laughs> uh, in verse 25 through 27, uh, it seems different to me here how they relate to God is, for, is forever in some ways made new. Verse 25, he says, These things I have spoken to you in a figurative language. <clears throat> An hour is coming when I lo- will no longer speak to you in a figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. Now, that certainly uh, would be, I think, in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but also whenever he appears to them. But in that day, he says, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf. Now, there are other passages where Christ is our intercessor and and all those other things. So you need to take those into consideration. But I think what he's pointing to here is that through the cross, I have brought you into a special relationship with the Father. Uh, in other words, you have access now to the throne room. In fact, we're, 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 we're encouraged or in, it is an imperative, come boldly to the throne room by grace. So Jesus has made a way for us to come to the Father. And he's saying to them, he's emphasizing here, look, don't, don't think that I'm going to ask him for you. By what I've accomplished on the cross or about to accomplish on the cross, I'm bringing you right into the fellowship of the Father. I, I don't have to request for him because you're in his presence. Through what I've accomplished on the cross. Now he does make intercession. He's at the right hand of the father. The scriptures clearly tell us. But I think he's concentrating here on establishing to them. That listen I am going away. And yes your hearts will grieve. And you'll see me again. And your hearts will rejoice. But your relationship to the father is forever changed through what I'm about to do here. I mean, I I am doing the mediator role, as it were, through the cross. Through the cross, I am bringing you to the Father. Uh, All condemnation has been removed. Otherwise, you would be incinerated in his presence. So I'm making a way for you to come to the Father. So I think that's his emphasis there in that moment. So he's relating to them a new way to the Father upon the cross the other one here in verse 25 I think is they would know the word clearly certainly that speaks to I think to the ministry of the Holy Spirit but also in Jesus on talking with him afterwards in the in the in the days that he was there before he ascended to the father he says these things I've spoken to you I have, have been speaking to you in figurative language an hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language but will tell you plainly of the father and so they're going to have a this new relationship is going to be bringing the word of the Father. It's not going to be in parables and and and, and figurative language. Uh, it's going to be clear and plain. That certainly is the ministry of the Holy Spirit there who would, he said, would bring them into all truth and call to remembrance all that Jesus said. So, so certainly we're speaking about there. Jesus is making this possible now through the cross. Remember. He's going to the cross. He's only hours from going to the cross, from his trials and all the other things. He's only hours now from this, and he's saying this this to them almost as as though it's present tense. It's already happened. It's a certainty that this is the way it's going to be. Well, how does he know it's a certainty? Because he's about to do the very thing that makes it a certainty. He's about to go to the cross. So they will have the word. They will know the word clearly. Clearly. In verse 26, I think you will see they will live and serve under Christ's authority. He says, "In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say that you, to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf, behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me, and I believed that I came forth from the Father. My point there is that, you will ask in my name. So you're going to be going out new now. You've not asked anything in my name up until this point. But when I go to the cross after I've risen to the dead, from the dead and I go back to the Father, I'm bringing access for you to the Father, and you're going to ask in my name as though you're pointing to the, to the merit of the Son in regards to the request you're making. So they're, they're operating, they're serving and living their lives under now the authority of Christ himself that's a that's a that's brought about by the cross in fact Philippians tells us uh, having humbled himself unto death even the death of the cross that God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name and so, so that's essentially what you see worked out here. Jesus is saying to them as well. I'm going to the cross and after I come back from the dead and rise from the dead, see you again, go to the Father, the Holy Spirit comes, takes up residence in you. From that day forward, you will live and you will serve under the authority of all that I have purchased there at the cross. I've been thinking about a lot about that lately. In fact, it kind of in my private study, I've got a, another notebook, and I'm just going through the Bible and, and going through particularly the, the epistles and the gospels and trying to, trying to quantify what it was exactly uh, that Jesus purchased at the cross. Salvation, obviously, justification, obviously, sanctification, all those things, but just delineating everything. Everything, even answered prayer purchased at the cross. Uh, All the mercies that are poured into our lives every day, I believe they're not given by God the Father disconnected from the sufferings of Christ. He's not just bypassing the cross and saying, well, I wasn't really thinking about that thing, but, but since, you're, since you're mine, I'll go ahead and do this. No, everything is a mercy flowing from the cross. That is the infinite value of the suffering and the merit of Christ's suffering is that it purchases every mercy, however that's manifested in your life. I'm convinced of that. I'm absolutely convinced of that. So they will, have a, they will know the word clearly. They have a way made to the Father. They will relate to the Father in a new way. They will live and serve under Christ's authority. In verse 27, I love that, where he says the Father loves them. In verse 27, he says, I do not say to you that I will request on the Father on, on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. The Father loves you. Uh, I think that would land on people differently if you grew up, with a, an abusive father perhaps uh, i've talked to people before who grew up without any kind of fatherly love or expressions of fatherly love and when they when they hear that not only their father but their heavenly father loves them that is a completely unique new experience for them and that that's brought about by jesus because before the cross they were at enmity with god in fact the bible says that they were children of wrath and so they were abiding under the condemnation and wrath. The judgment was upon them. I mean, we, we hear everybody nowadays say God loves everybody. God loves everybody. Well, God loves you through the sufferings of Christ. Uh, the rest of the world is under condemnation, in fact, abiding under the wrath. And the only thing that restrains judgment at the moment is the mercy of God, again, I think, purchased at the cross as well. But that is profound. The infinite God loves you the finite Uh, the one whose love is infinitely perfect there is no failing there is no end of the love of God he has through Christ turned that love and directed to you essentially Jesus is saying look I'm going to the father and whatever you ask in my name he will give it to you I'm not going to tell you I'm requesting of him that he gives the thing to you I'm not going to ask on your behalf I don't have to why because he loves you so we come by under the authority of Christ, mindful of the sacrifice and the sufferings of Christ, mindful of the word of Christ, and we offer up our prayers to God. And he loves us in Jesus Christ. That's just amazing. That's just amazing. You might come to a time in your life when nobody, nobody loves you. Uh, I've shared my, my experience in coming to Christ, but uh, I actually intentionally uh, alienated everybody that I thought loved me. And I think deep down why I did that was because in my heart their love for me demanded some sort of reciprocation and I couldn't find it in my heart to reciprocate. So what I did is I offended everyone who expressed love to me and I pushed them so far away that they dared not express any love for me. Therefore I, was, I felt free. I was not obligated now to reciprocate anything. <laughs> so that changed in conversion, uh, that changed because then you're free to love and that's the love of the Father to us. We don't know love in this world unless we know the love of the Father. In fact, it's a cheap love this world offers in many ways. In verse 16, or chapter 16, verse 28, uh, they will enjoy a more intimate fellowship, I think, which is Kind of counter, or counterintuitive because he's going away. But he says, I came forth from the Father and I have come into the world. I'm leaving the world again and going to the Father. Well, the, well, the, the implications for me would be this relationship's not going to be as good. I mean, we need you. And you're talking about the Holy Spirit, who's going to come, but but we don't know. We we, we're not familiar with Him, but we know you. We've we've ate with you and dined, and we've slept in the same room, and we and we've just enjoyed this fellowship. We've seen miraculous works of God, and we've seen the people respond wonderfully. We saw you feed five thousand, and we were all there, and our hearts have leaped with joy so many times with you. and, And and you're leaving. This relationship is degraded now. We're not going to have that anymore. Can't you just endure forever with us here? That's what they would be thinking. That's what I would have been thinking. What do you mean you're going away? And how is that going to be helpful to us? And I would posit that through what he's saying to them is that the relationship now is going to become more intimate. He said, he tells them earlier, they know the spirit for he abides with them and will be in them. So the Holy Spirit who is coming is as God, as much God as the son in whom they've been felt with whom they've been fellowshipping with. But what's different is he's not with you now. He's in you. And so the relationship becomes more intimate than they had there. I've often, uh, I've always heard people preach this and I'm not convinced that when Mary held on to Jesus, Uh, And he wanted her to let him go. I've heard people preach that as though she was defiling him somehow or another. He hadn't yet been up to offer the sacrifice. So he wasn't pure yet. Uh, He had to remain pure. And I, I just don't believe that's what he's saying there. I think what Mary wanted to do was exactly what the disciples here probably wanted to do. Stay with me. Don't leave me And Jesus is essentially saying, listen, let me go. I'm going to the Father, and if I go there, I'm never going to leave you. I'm coming back in a more intimate way. Mary, you want to hang on to what you got now. I went to the cross to purchase something more profound and more infinitely glorious. Let me go to the Father so the Spirit can come to you. Then I will dwell in you, Mary, and you'll never have to cling, hang on to me again. I'll be hanging on to you. I think that's, uh, that's the glory of what he's saying here. I came forth from the Father. That's where it came from. I came into the world and I'm leaving the world through the cross and going to the Father. And and you think, and you think that's going to be a downgrade of our relationship. No. No. But only the Holy Spirit will be able to communicate to that to them when he comes. Because I don't think they get it really here. Verse 29, they they seem like they do. Because his disciples said, lo, now you're speaking plainly and not using a figure of speech. It's almost as if they're saying, oh, we get it. Now we understand. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. You're, you're right. You did get that right. And this we, and by this, we believe that you came from God. And so it's kind of a confession here. And it's as if they're saying, oh, now you're saying it plainly. We get it now. We, we believe And the very next words out of Jesus's mouth is, do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe? You're you're very confident in your belief right now. You're asserting your belief and making your declaration of belief here. But I'm telling you that what I'm going to do at the cross is going to make sure that your belief is real. I've not been to the cross yet. And your belief now is still in the power of your flesh in some ways and, and the power of understanding and even merciful in many ways. But it's not the same as you will believe after I go to the Father because I'm bringing you into relationship with Him. I'm paying the price for sin, opening the way for you to the Father. Then I'm coming back and, and the Holy Spirit is coming back, taking up dwelling in your heart. Then you will understand what believing is. Then the belief will be different. You won't be just confessing true things. That's part of it but you'll be experiencing the presence of Christ within. So he's going to provide for them a more intimate fellowship. Uh, Verse 21, uh, they will suffer. Uh, This is kind of the only negative he has here. They will suffer, but then he leaves them with the positive, but be certain of ultimate triumph. Uh, I've heard this verse quoted so many times. And sometimes we even say it to ourselves when things get tough in this world and it seems like the, you know, the devil's throwing everything he's got at you in this life. We'll, we'll say things like this. In this world you'll have tribulation. But Jesus says, but that your hearts be at peace. I've overcome the world. Now that's, that's present tense. He's not yet gone to the cross. He's still talking. So that's what, the certainty there again as well. I've already overcome the world. I have overcome the world. In fact, the world came into existence through me. And I've come into the world. I'm going to the cross. I'm going back to the Father. and And my victory is absolutely secure. And so in the world, yes, he's already told them they're going to hate you because everything you do is shining light into the darkness of the world. And they don't like the light shining on their darkness of their deeds and the darkness of their heart. So they're going to hate you. And in this world, they're always going to do that. You're always going to have tribulation in this world. But he says to them, I have spoken these things so that you may have peace in the world. You will have that tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome the world. So when the world throws those things at us, that's the root, that's the source of our courage. He has overcome the world. Uh, I, I've, I've witnessed that in my own life, uh, how he overcomes in some ways the world in my, own, in my own world, in my own life. When the world pushes hard and the world offers up its pleasures, and the world offers up its temptations and its empty promises, and the, and the fleshly man begins to crumble a little bit towards that. Jesus, by the Spirit who dwells in me and by the truth of His Word, reminds me in those moments that I have conquered that already. That's what the cross was about. It will not have ultimate victory over you. So don't give in to the defeated foe now. or Resist the foe. Turn to God and live in the fullness of that victory. That's what walking by faith and not by sight really means. Uh, that That the victory is more desirable to you than the temporal pleasures that the world may offer in this life. And that's the ongoing battle in every Christian's life. So he concludes with those words. And like I said, in chapter 17, he kind of turns from all that and he turns to the Father and begins to pray, lifts up his eyes to the heavens and begins to pray. And we'll be getting into that next week. So let's pray tonight. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that the cross changed everything. Jesus had been foretelling it. The scriptures had been foretelling it uh, the day would come. In fact, I believe all the universe was centering around that event. Father, here is Jesus, as we've read tonight, just before he was to go to that cross, teaching his disciples and the apostles these great truths that had not yet been purchased for them, and they did not yet understand them, but Lord, through the cross, The understanding came, the Holy Spirit did come, and the Holy Spirit did lead them into all truth and and all things that Christ has said, and they did record those. And we're sitting here in this room tonight with those very words in in our laps and before us, and my heart convicts me that we are not thrilled about that. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts every time we open your word. And Lord, I pray that whatever we learn, wherever we go, however sanctification unfolds in our own lives, that we would remember that these things are purchased by the Christ who is speaking here to his disciples, who is about to go to the cross and endure the horrors of a crucifixion and even death, but who rose victorious over those things and is now at this very moment by the right hand of the Father. Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who dwells in our hearts and guides us into this truth ourselves and brings to mind the things that Christ has said in his word. And Lord, I pray that you would cause us to be more sensitive to, uh, to his prodding in our own hearts. And Lord, I think we go through every day and, and, and there's a piercing or a prodding that we put off, maybe at a better time to deal with that or, or maybe we press it away because it's uncomfortable, but Lord, I pray that you would humble us, that we might be sensitive to the spirits leading in our own heart. Lord, that your word come to bear upon us. I ask your blessing upon those who've come tonight. Father, pray that as we go through our week this week, that we'll think much of you, often of you, and highly of you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.